that we have been in this series, right, where we've been talking about vitals and essentials, not just of Christian faith, but how Hydrant Church lives out those vitals and essentials and worship was where we started, because that's where it always starts, is in this connection to God in which we pour ourselves out and hear from Him and see Him and are encountered by Him in these very real and significant ways. And from there, we began to talk about making disciples and that as a church and as believers, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be made into a disciple and to be making disciples. And at Hydrant Church, we have like three simple questions that guide us in that process. And we're even pushing those further with some of our life groups in the next um, season. But the three questions are, what is God asking you to do? Do you have the courage to do it? And how can we help? And we ask each other those questions, and in that process, we grow closer to God, we become more obedient to God, and our lives are transformed. And I was really affirmed in that whole thing this week. I was, at, um, I was in San Diego, California, at this multipliers cohort thing. So basically, the largest organization in the world for church planting is working with leaders in our denomination to help us figure out how God is guiding us into a multiplication movement, churches planting churches in the next decade or two, and what that looks like. And um, we met a guy named Ralph Moore who started a church in Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm still asking God to send me to Honolulu, Hawaii to start a church, but he's not done that. Goldsboro is just like that close, right? I mean, almost the same. So we, we, um, we met this guy, Ralph. Ralph started a church in Honolulu that started churches, that started churches, that started churches, that led to 2,500 churches all across the Pacific Rim, the mainland United States and Hawaii. And he told us we did it all based on a simple model of discipleship. We would preach and we'd get people in groups and teach them how to ask a few questions and then they would send out people who asked a few questions, send out people who asked a few questions and those, he said, we really just did it with three questions. I never heard of Ralph Moore. Never heard of his church or what they had done. But his three questions were, what's God asking you to do in all of this? And what are you going to do about it? And how can we help? And for me, as I heard that, it was just this reminder, even in the midst of the chaos of the last several months, that God has been guiding us and that God is with us and he's empowering us. Because it also answered this other question I've had. How do we help people leaving Hydrant? Right? Because at some point, if you're military, chances are you'll leave. And you'll go to a new town. And, and we want you to be able to know how to find a place like Hydrant or to be able to start one in your living room. Right? That's, what I, that's my heart. Like, if you can't find one, start one. And so how do we help people to do that? And I realized, well, we've been doing it all along. You just get together in your living room, invite some friends over, mimosas, brunch, whatever works for you, and say, hey, we're going to watch this guy preach. I mean, you can listen to Hydrant, but the good preachers have video podcasts, so you just find one of them and watch it and ask three questions, right? What was God talking to you about in that? What are you going to do about it? Would you have the courage to do it? And how can I help? And imagine if you went into a new town, you couldn't find a church, but you got a couple of people together, a couple that you met at work or in the neighborhood that, that were struggling with the same thing. You said, man, what if we just started getting together for brunch and we'll watch something and we'll just talk? Three questions. You began to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples.
God has been doing a remarkable thing through that. It just is driven into everything that we are. It's simple, it's relational, it's holistic, it's, it's our discipleship. And then last week we talked about nudging, right? I told you about some of my like, kind of um, terrible experiences with this idea of evangelism. And that what God calls us to is not this yell at the world for bad stuff we think they're doing kind of evangelism. Or even this like, let me go up to a stranger and ask, what's, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? That's just weird. And it jumps through levels of intimacy and assumes that you're going to talk to me about the deepest parts of who you are when we just met. But instead, instead God demonstrates in the way that Jesus worked, in the, the way that he lived, this, this nudging, right? I don't have to shove you. I don't need to knock you down and be like, what's Jesus saying? It's not about that. It's more this little nudge. Hey, d- did you see God there? Man, you've been going through this stuff, but man, do you see this that God did? Man, do you, do you realize you've never been alone? Wow, you are so good at that. God has really just made you with such a gift, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, I know what you did really hurt, but, but it's okay. I forgive you. We'll move on. Grace, love, encouragement, that's going to point people to Jesus. And as a church, we are nudgers. We are not shovers. <laughs> we are not trippers. We are not kickers. We are not yellers. We are nudgers. And so today we push even further out into the community and into one another's lives with this idea of serving. Have you ever wondered, you know, let your mind drift into that deep question, like, why am I here? I mean, we all do. Philosophers spend their lives pondering the questions Teenagers, as they first kind of hit that abstract thinking or get late into the night and they're joking and joking and then sometimes it just turns weirdly serious. Or maybe after the 13th load of laundry, 200th diaper, and, and 6th PB&J of the day, you're like, what is going on? Why am I here? Kind of moment, right? It usually starts with like, why am I here? Like right now in this moment, in this place, sitting in this chair, listening to this, or... Then it's like, why am I in this relationship or job or whatever? And it it usually, though, trips us into this question of, why am I here at all? What's, What's going on? Why is any of this? Why are any of us here? There's a man named Simon Sinek who's made lots of money talking about this idea of why. He, his TED Talk is the, one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time since the beginning of TED Talks. And he pushes people to think beyond the what and the how down to the why. His most famous book is Start With Why. And his next one is Find Your Why. And then there's a workbook that goes with it, Discover Your Why. Because he believes that if you could find that why, why am I here? Why are we here that we'll begin to understand how to live out our lives and what we're supposed to do in any moment. But without an identification of the why, we're just going after the what that's right in front of our face. I mean, it's how most of us live, right? We just do what's next. 
What's next in our job? What's next in our career? What's next in our relationship? What's next in parenting? We just go from what to what to what to what and never think about why. It's why so many couples today will just move in together before they're married and like not even think about it other than just, well, that's what happens next. Not ever stopping to say, well, why? Why am I in this relationship? And will this lead to the kind of relationship that I really want one day or not? Or we take that promotion, we take that raise, we step into that new job because that's what's next. That's what you do with no thought to why I'm in this job at all, why I'm in this field, why I do this, what I'm gifted at, what I really want to be and do with my time and energy, which just what's next. Churches, they add staff and add buildings because they grew, and that's just what you do. No thought to why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. It's just, well, that's what's next. We live our lives jumping from one thing to the next, just doing what's in front of us. And we're challenged to stop and take a step back to figure out the why of our lives so that it can guide everything else. It just rarely does that. So I wonder if you figured that out, answered that question. Do you know your why? Are you living by it? In Luke chapter 4, we find a man named Jesus, and he tells us his why. It's the very beginning of his ministry. You can find, if you use one of the Bibles in the chairs, I called him pews in the first service. Brendan tripped me up with his talk of rails, and I just got all messed up. Luke chapter 4, we've met this guy, Jesus. We've not heard anything about, about him for 18 years. At 12, he was in the temple, and he disappears. And then at, at 30, he shows up again. He's baptized, and he wanders off in the, the desert. And there, he's tempted and tested. He's questioned about who he is and his why. And he's tempted to abandon it for an easier way to get the same what, but an easier way. And, and he stands up under the temptation despite his hunger, despite his exhaustion. And in some ways now restored and focused, he steps out of the desert and he heads to his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. And he does what he always does on the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue. And we find the story in Luke chapter 4. Verse 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that prisoners will be set free, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. And at that, the time of the Lord's favor has come near. And so like a typical person would do who was about to teach in his time, he rolled up the scroll and he sat down. And I can imagine this pause as everyone's attention was on him. It says, all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. 
They're staring at him. He began to speak. He said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He essentially says to him, to them, I am here to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. I am here to set the oppressed free. I am here to proclaim that the Lord's favor is here today. Essentially what he's saying is that my why is all about setting people free. My why is all about setting people free. He is about setting people free from poverty and from the systems that keep people impoverished. And from the systems that drive those with money to think that they need more money. To think that it's about more accumulation and buying the next thing. To set us free from having to work ourselves to death to buy more crap we don't need. And we probably don't even want and won't use that long. Do you realize that little practice of your child at Christmas where they get the toy and they play with it for a few hours? We all do that. Everything loses its shine. And yet we're working our tails off for this stuff. As if somehow that was going to bring more joy, more contentment, more peace, more of anything. Our culture is screaming at us more, more, more. And we grab more and we grab more and we work harder and we're caught up in this system without even realizing it. Just doing what's in front of us to get more of what's in front of us. And some are caught in a system where they can't break free. The options, the choices, the education are not there for them and they, they're stuck in cycles of poverty. And he sinned, said, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. That there's a better way. There's another way. I'm here to present a place, a kingdom, to create a kingdom where options are shared. Options are given and opportunities are created. It's got to be both and. We come together, set free from these cycles and systems. He says, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to set people free from the prisons that they live in. And we, we as 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 Americans today, those who are, who are free and those who have, most of us have never spent that time imprisoned, we want to over-spiritualize this. You know, the prison of my fear, my anxiety, my depression, my worry, the, those things. And I believe that Jesus is completely willing and able and wanting to begin to set us free, teach us how to live free. But he's talking very practical. Those who are unfairly and unjustly imprisoned. Those who are caught in a system that creates no options for them. To where the only thing that they can see to do to provide for their kids is something that's illegal and will eventually lead them to jail. To create options that set people free from prison before they ever go. It says, I'm here to set people free from physical Spiritual, social blindness that keeps us from seeing ourselves, seeing those around us, seeing our community, seeing what's going on. So many of us live blind to what's being fed to us, what we're being given, what we're doing. And he wants to open our eyes to reality, to truth, so that we can live in truth. He is offering us freedom from all types of oppression. Freedom is why Jesus came. The author of the letter to the church in Philippi, 
a guy named Paul, he, he wrote about how Jesus went about this mission. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn over to it it's in Philippians chapter 2. This church is a, a bunch of people, for the most part, just trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is all about. They didn't even call them Christians, they're just kind of people of the way of Jesus. And what is this way of Jesus? So Paul writes, and he tells them to have the same attitude that Jesus has. He begins to describe it. If you read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, if you have one of these, it's page 709, right at the top left. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. To do this, you, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to hold on to. He didn't come and act like a God or how any of us would think a God would act. Instead, verse 7 he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant. Some translations will say slave. He was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The very God of all creation humbled himself to the point of serving. His why was to set people free and his how was to serve. Everything he did was to serve others, to serve humanity. It was never about himself. It was never about drawing attention to himself. In fact, that was one of those temptations I was telling you about. The enemy Satan, he says to him, hey, jump off this temple. That way everybody will know who you are. And you'll be able to do this thing God wants you to do. Everybody will know your name. Everybody will, everybody will think you're special. Everyone will see that you're really God. And instead, he says, no, I think I'll just go serve people. I think I'll walk the streets homeless. And love and heal and teach and serve. I think I'll, I'll show up at a wedding and try to blend in until my mom makes me do something. <laughs> and he finally hides in the back and he takes some old barrels of water and turns them into the best wine they'd ever had. He walked in the shadows. He hid from... The attention, instead, he just served. He says, Paul writes, says, have that same mind. He says, look at Jesus. Do what he did. So what did he do? We see in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, you can turn there if you want. I'm not going to, but John chapter 13, in the beginning of verse 12, he's gathered his disciples, his closest 12, and he's having one last meal with them before he's to leave this world, before he's to be crucified. He knows they don't know what's going on, but it's his last chance to talk to them. Imagine this conversation. Your son or daughter has turned 18, they've graduated from high school, and they're about to pull off into the world to go to college. Or they signed up, 
They're about to head off to boot camp. What's the last thing you want to tell them about how to live their lives? What's the last thing you want to say to them? You have one chance. And Jesus, Jesus has this one chance and he does this really strange thing that no teacher would ever do. No rabbi, no leader would ever do. Not in his time. He goes to the corner, the servant station, if you would, and he grabs this, this basin of water and a towel. And he, and he imagines the lowest of low job in the room. What the youngest, least experienced, lowest reputation servant would have to do. And he takes that and he washes their feet. Like you think your teenager's feet stink and are gross? Take that teenager, put them in sandals walking through sandy streets all day long. And then imagine that nastiness. <laughs> and he's washing 12 young men's feet one by one by one. I love it. So we just see these washing clothes as like washing feet. Just doing what God's asked us to do, what Jesus demonstrated for us. And so Jesus in verse 13 of John chapter 13, he says, Now that I have done this, you go and do it too. This is how I want you to live this life. It's that simple. It's the last thing he has the chance to say. And he models serving and sends them to serve. This is your why, he says. You're here to serve. He keeps going. In fact, if we, if we listen to the church and we go and, and hear from one of those guys in the room that day. In fact, there was one guy who said, listen, Jesus, if you're doing the whole washing thing, I need a whole bath. Like, I'm, I'm bad dude. I've done all kinds of wrong. They just cleanse me, make me new all over. It's Peter. Peter later writes, he says, you've been designed. It's in, in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, these gifts that you've been given, the way that you were designed, the way you were created, things that you're good at, your strengths, your, your gifts, your abilities, they were given to you to serve. They weren't given to you to make a reputation. They weren't given to you to accumulate lots of stuff or money or bank accounts. They weren't given to you to build a platform. They weren't given to you to even take care of your family. They weren't given to you to build your own little empire. They were given to you to serve one another. You were designed to serve. It is why we're here. Any of us. Galatians 5.13 says that we've been set free. Jesus said, when I set you free, you're really free. You're set free from those prisons and those systems and those cycles and that violence and that abuse and that way of living. But you're not set free so that you can just do whatever you want now. Galatians 5.13, you have been set free not to do whatever you want, but to serve one another. You have been set free 
to serve. You've been set free from the need for approval. You have been set free for the need of acceptance. You are set free from the need for a reputation or more stuff. You are set free from lust. You are set free from disappointment, from anxiety, from depression. You are set free to step out in service to others. It's why you're here. It's why any of us are here. I love Frederick Buechner. He says it this way. Your vocation in life, your job in life, your why is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Your why is not just in what makes you happy. It's not even in just what you're passionate about. It's where those things meet the needs of others because you were created to serve. All of us created, deserved, called, designed, and commissioned, empowered, released to serve. It's what we call overflow here, serving in the ministry of Hydrant and in the mission of Hydrant. So I like 80% of those who, who attend regularly serve in some way. It's why we bring organizations like Laundry and Love, Laundry Love here, because Hydrant loves Goldsboro, and we can only express that love in service. And there are people who are, man, laundry love, laundry love. I, I know, like, we don't claim you, you're not ours, but you're a hydrant sharing this life-giving water of Jesus, of hope. And we want to partner with anybody who's doing that. And what that is for all of us is a handle. I'm like, where do I serve? How do I get involved? Right there. That's how. The pantry. That's how. In January, it'll be four-day movement. In February, it'll be somebody else. In March, it'll be somebody else. In April, it'll be somebody else. This is how. And maybe Monday nights don't work for you. Maybe Saturday mornings don't work for you. We'll keep, we'll keep working. We'll find somewhere. We'll find someone. We all need handles because it's where our passion meets the need. Not everyone is going to be concerned about washing clothes. Not everyone is going to be concerned about things like the pregnancy center or four-day mood. But there's going to be somewhere where God has fueled a passion and a joy in you that will meet a need in our community. And we want to help you find that place because it's our why. It's why any of us were created. We are created to serve. And if you really want to dig in like, okay, well, what is my why? And what, why am I here, God? Let me tell you how to figure it out. It's really easy. Start serving. Just start serving. And try something. Try it out for six months. If it doesn't fit, try something else. Try it out for six Like, don't try everything all at once. It's kind of like you have to isolate and figure out what, what is it you're made to do. The sound system stuff. If we were to try to... If we were trying to isolate the problem and figure it out, right? If we were to go back there and change five things and it fixed the problem, we don't actually know what the problem is, right? You have to change one thing at a time, see if that fixes it. Now you know what the problem is. Isolate it. The same thing when you want to find a solution to why. Try one thing, see if that's it. That's not it. Try something else. Don't try like eight things. Don't fill up your time 24-7 serving. All you're going to do is wear yourself out and be more miserable. But there is this, this power 
in serving that helps us figure out our why, which inspires us to serve. Even Simon Sinek, when he writes about this idea of why, he will tell you that it has not nearly as much to do with your own passion and happiness as it does helping other people. And he will always push it so that. Like he will tell you his passion, his why, is to inspire people to find their why so that the world becomes a better place wherever we are. Why? Found in serving. Think, I, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who can do great things. So I love that video. If you can't do great things, do something small with a lot of love. And I say, well... I don't know that I even have a lot of love. Well, then do it with a little love. I don't even know if I have any love. Well, that's fine. Do it anyway. And what happens is you find the love. So, well, I don't, let me give you an example. I hate doing dishes. It's gross. I can't stand to hear somebody else chew, much less clean the food off their plate. Right? It's just, that was in their mouth. Like that, that's gross. But I do dishes, probably not as much as I should. Now that my children are big enough to do it, I don't want to, and I don't love it at all, but I love the people in my house, and it's a way I can serve them. I don't like cleaning toilets either, but I do that. Somebody's got to. Yeah, <laughs> I got an amen for the guy who cleans the toilets here. I've done it. I've done it, bro. <laughs> Just do it anyway. Walk into a room and not worry about what somebody thinks of you, about whether you're good enough to do it or smart enough or capable. Don't walk into a room and wonder if they're staring at you, if you're dressed okay, if your hair's right, like what's going on. Walk into a room and say, man, how can I make this room better? How can, how can I add value and joy and peace and encouragement to the people in this room? If you walked into your home at the end of the day, you didn't look for what's not right. You looked for something to encourage in everyone in the home, something to say thank you for. How would your whole world change if you did that? How would your world change if you looked in the mirror and decided to serve yourself a little bit? And instead of seeing all the things you don't like and all the things you hate and all the things you wish were different, and you just look in that mirror and beat yourself up, you started... By encouraging you too. We just nudge. It's a way to serve. See what's good. I know. Love grows when we serve, but if you're like me, your mind is racing with excuses right now, right? Like all the reasons you can't do that. That usually, it usually demonstrates a heart problem. See, the thing that gets in our way more than anything else is exactly what Paul wrote about. I'm selfish. I don't want to use my time to take out trash or do dishes or mow the lawn or anything else anybody else needs. Greed. Pride. Jesus humbled himself to serve. He could have, he was the God of all creation. He could have demanded everybody serve him. Instead, he decided to serve everybody he met. 
So it doesn't matter. Like here we have this saying, if service is below you, leadership is beyond you. The further you rise in leadership at Hydrant, it just means the more people you have to serve. My job is to serve everyone who's connected to Hydrant and beyond. Like I just figure I'm Goldsboro's servant. Whatever I can do. And that's now extended as we started this whole rethink small. Like I'm the servant of every small church pastor I know or meet. How can I help? I'm here to help. What if we just reversed it? Like Hydrant's people were Goldsboro's servants. We love Goldsboro. So when we pull up to that drive-thru, we're not looking at that person as if they're there to serve us. We're in that car to serve them in that moment. We go into that restaurant and that person who's bringing us our food, we're not there to be served. We're there to serve. We walk into someone's home. We walk into our workplace. We're here to serve. See, sometimes... It's not about even doing anything different. It's about shifting the way we think. Because I can go into work tomorrow and bust my tail so that I get a raise. Or I can bust my tail to bring glory to God and help the people around me succeed. I'm doing the same job. I'm busting my tail the same. But there's a whole different motivation and it changes everything that happens. Am I there to serve or am I there for me? And that's what really a lot of us have is we've got this heart problem. just selfish. I want more stuff. I want attention. I want accolades. I want the promotion. I want to be served. Sometimes it's not a heart problem. Sometimes it's just ignorance. Don't take that the wrong way. What I mean is you just don't know that you're supposed to be here to serve. You've been searching for why in all the wrong places. You don't realize that your why was always found in serving others. It's finding your joy, meeting a need. Or you just didn't know how to get involved. Some of us didn't know laundry love existed until today. Some of us, some of us didn't know there's soup kitchens and food pantries and men's homes and women's shelters. And there's all these things and ways to get involved in our community, to love people. We didn't know we could pull up to a drive through and serve them instead of being served. We just didn't know. Sometimes it's this excuse. This is the most common excuse. Well, I don't have enough. I told you how we solved the I don't have enough money problem. <laughs> we give some away. Because God said, when you give, I'll take what you've given and I'll increase it and give it back. I trust that we have a God who, who has everything we need. And if I use what he's given me to make a difference in someone else's life, he can give me more. And if he doesn't, I didn't need it. Then it's the I don't have enough time. This one drives me crazy. And I get it. I, do, I have a tendency to do too much too. There's a, some recent research that calls the, uh, our culture time starved. The fact is that we don't have enough. We don't have any fewer hours today than they had five years ago or 10 years ago or 25 or 50 or 100 years ago. There's the exact same number of hours in a day. We're just too dang busy doing things that we weren't created to do, weren't designed for, that aren't really going to matter when we come to the end. See, we spend all this time and all of this energy doing things for us. 
for hours. And we'll come to the end of our days and we'll have accumulated some stuff and a name and little else. And we'll die and be forgotten. But when we live our lives to serve others, we'll find purpose and meaning and joy and peace and we'll come to the end of our lives with a legacy that will have reached far beyond anything we can imagine or know. In my mind, one life is worth living and the other is not. So let me just ask you, like, what is God asking you to do? Do you have the courage to do it? If not, how can I help you? I think for some of us, if we have that heart disease, we need to begin to pray. God set me free. You said that's why you came. It's what you do. Set me free. And then do what a free person would do. Like if you don't feel it yet, you don't feel the love, you don't feel the joy, you don't want to serve, like, well, just do what you think a free person would do. If someone was free of poverty and the mindsets of accumulation, what would they do? If they could see reality, what would they do? If they invested in what was going to last, what would they do? And then do that. And there's something about doing the things that free people do that makes you free. If you're time starved, that's a choice. Here's what I challenge you to do. Stop two things and start one. Stop two things that aren't really that important and find one way to serve. You catch that equation, right? Like it generates more time. I'm not asking you to stop one, start one. It's not about just replacing the busyness. There is a simplicity to the Christian life that is slower. That says to our world and our culture, you don't get to rush me. Parents, can I, can I just tell you? Kids don't need to do every sport every season all year long. They don't need to be involved in every band and every recital and everything that comes their way. Because they'll come to the end of life and they won't remember it. They're not going to remember the hours and hours and hours of practice. Do you know what they'll remember? Throwing the ball with you in the front yard. Shooting baskets in the driveway. Spending time reading together, learning together, going to worship together, serving together. Having people in your home together. That's what they'll remember. Can I just let you be free of the expectations of those around you and the lies of our world that says you're a bad parent if they don't do everything they want to do? I want to call it something, but we're in church and we have guests here. And I, it's, be free. He came to set you free from those expectations and those lies. Do what matters with your kids. You've only got a few years And don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel guilty about it. Do what matters. Do what'll last. You only get one shot. Then walk into a space and put other people first. Look up, how can I add value to this room? How can I encourage? How can I invest? How can I help? And just do it. Don't ask permission. 
Don't wait for somebody else to ask you to. Just serve. We used to have a way of putting it in our house, and it's the one story that got me in the most trouble. My dad would always say, like, if you see something he's doing, do it. We had, like, Saturday morning, like, chore time, and so we get our list of chores we had to do that week, which was all the normals plus two or three or ten more. And it was like, and then if you see anything else that he's doing along the way, do that too. And one day, in my teenage self, I said to my father, he was sitting on the other side of the room, I thought I might be safe enough to say it, I said, Dad, you tell us when we see something he's doing, do it. But when you see something he's doing, you tell me to do it. I've never seen, he's not here today, I've never seen that man move so fast to get that belt off so quickly, I thought I was going to die. I'm still here. He didn't hit me. I probably deserved it. And then just listen. What is God asking you to do? Now, I want to say one last thing. This probably is more applicable to mothers than anyone else. But all of us need to hear this. Don't be doing the things that God didn't ask you to do. Right now, the place of service that God may have you is with that little one. And that may take every bit of energy and time you have. Don't feel guilt for something God's not asking you to do. Don't feel guilt. Because you think you ought to be out doing this or that or the other. What he's given you to do. If you're not sure where to start, start with the things that only you can do. Right now for me, I'm the only one who can take care of my physical, emotional, spiritual, relational health. No one else can do that for me. No one else can step into that role. No one else can be Anita's husband. No one else can be Noah or Sophia's dad. No one else can do that. And right now, he's put certain people in my life to invest in, and nobody else can do that right now. About 5% of what you and I do, only you and I can do. Another 10 or 15%, somebody with a little bit of training could do. And the other, like 70%, anybody could do. Don't spend all your time doing the things that anybody could do. Start. Start. Just focus. Start there and let it spread. But start with what only you can do. Who has God put in your life that only you can serve right now? What has he burdened you with? Where does your joy meet the world's need? Start there. And let that love grow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends. And I pray that in this message, they would only hear inspiration and encouragement to be who they were created to be. To live into why they were created at all. Why they were given the gifts and abilities and skills and opportunities they've been given. May we not leave with any sense of false shame or false guilt that doesn't belong to us. But God, would you speak to us? I believe that you are able to speak to anyone in this room as much as me or more than me. God, you speak. Tell us what you want us to do. And fill us, empower us with your spirit and the courage to do it. And if we need help, help us to ask. 
And in that, would you send us out as those who love Goldsboro? Beginning with our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our community and beyond. Send us out. And may we hear what you said to your disciples on that night. Go, follow my example. Go and serve. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an honor to worship with you this morning. Go and enjoy this day. Have a homemade cookie made with love by someone serving you today. And enjoy, enjoy. We're glad you're here. We'll see you again soon.